Welcome to the 217th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. This is the fifth installment in our continuing series on our Minnesota future, an exciting initiative the Land Stewardship Project helped launch. The guiding principle of our Minnesota future is that regular people and organizations representing the interests of these people need a stronger voice in our government. We need elected leaders who commit to govern alongside us and work with us in deep partnership to create the changes we envision for the people and the land. Besides LSP, 21 people's organizations are part of this coalition, including faith and environmental groups, organizations that work in communities of color and immigrant communities, as well as labor unions and progressive organizations. LSP members from various parts of the state, representing a variety of backgrounds, have been taking part in this initiative. One of those members, Sylvia Lutmer, grew up on a farm near Alexandria in west-central Minnesota, and for years worked as a nurse. Sylvia, who's in her late 50s, has long been convinced that local agricultural systems involving small and moderate-sized farmers can create a way for human health, food, and farming to come together and create vibrant rural communities. Her husband, Joe, worked for Kraft Foods for many years, an experience that gave them a first-hand look at the quote-unquote other side of the food system. A few years ago, the Lutmers became involved with a community coalition of producers and consumers. As a result of community conversations around the role local, sustainable food production can play in a healthy community, four years ago, the coalition launched Local Harvest Market, a kind of online farmer's market that aggregates and distributes food for some 30 farmers in the Alexandria region. The Lutmers became convinced that a way to help farmers get access to viable markets was needed after they worked with beginning farmers Jesse and Brian Simon to get them established on a farm. It was clear that although land access is key for beginning farmers, it means little if they can't get paid for taking the extra effort to raise food in a manner that's good for the land and the community. The local Harvest Market Food Hub is owned by 10 people and handles produce, pork, beef, chicken, cheese, eggs, and fish. A facility has been built on the 80-acre farm Sylvia grew up on, and it houses a walk-in refrigerator and freezer, as well as a commercial kitchen. I recently visited the headquarters of local Harvest Market and talked to Sylvia about the important role local food systems can play in the viability of rural communities and the challenges we face in getting farmers rewarded for their work. We also discussed how society must come to grips with what kind of food system we want and then take steps to make it a reality through cooperative efforts. Sylvia started out talking about how their experience helping Brian and Jesse Simon led to the establishment of the local Harvest Market Food Hub. That project of trying to create land access for young farmers was part of the impetus for the Food Hub in a roundabout way because we decided that we wanted to buy a farm and put some young farmers on a farm, which we did. We met Brian and Jesse at a Sustainable Farming Association meeting Mm -hmm. and then began to look for land in the area that they wanted to be in. And we actually were able to find a great farm, and it took us five years to transition that farm to them, and now they are the proud owners of Lakeside Prairie Farm, and it's a wonderful place. When we started that process, we realized that marketing was really difficult. Part of the food hub was to create markets for farmers like Brian and Jesse um, and the other farmers that we work with. I think what I've learned in, in studying and observing and working in the local food arena is that it's very complex. <laughs> And everything, I think because everybody needs food, there's a lot of complexity in making sure that it's available and accessible and affordable, that the people that produce it actually get a living wage. And there's a lot of exploitation in the industry, and so it's 
it's a really a complex issue. With the globalization in the food system, there's a lot of exploitation that happens um, on the producer side globally, and we now have to compete with that. And so our, our young and beginning farmers are in constant competition with low-cost food created with exploitation of labor in other parts of the world. The USDA numbers say that since 1999, the imports of fruits and vegetables have almost doubled. That's what we have to compete with. Mm. But I see that as a huge national security issue. If if we're going to continue depending on the rest of the world to feed us because labor can be exploited somewhere else, we may find ourselves in a real problem mm -hmm. yeah. sometime soon. And I think politically we're seeing volatility in trade makes us really vulnerable. And so I really feel like food working on our food sovereignty is really, really important. Mm. And I don't know fast that will happen, but that's that's what I see as a major challenge going forward. Some people would say, well, so what, that we these local farmers can't compete on that scale, but you obviously feel, yeah, it is a big so what to support these farmers and to make it so they can have a viable living and they're supplying these markets is good for them, but it's also good for the community kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? That, that it sounds like, you know, you grew up in this area and you see this as very valuable sounds like for this area, you know, and if we could see things like this replicated in other communities, but that sounds like it's a very important, It's you're thinking about it globally, but also just on the community level. When I grew up on this road, there were four farms and four families lived on them and they all made a living mm -hmm. on these farms. So that has drastically changed. And so I think if you, if you look at it, maybe not globally, but if you look at it from the larger food system standpoint and rural economics, being able to use the resources that we have available to us in farmland to grow our own food also can help to solve some of the rural economic problems that we're seeing. I think that that's a big part of the solution to the rural economic woes. I know several of the small towns around have lost their grocery stores, they've lost their hardware stores, they've lost their schools, have to consolidate because they don't, there's not enough kids in the countryside to keep, to keep a school open. Those people are still around, but now they've all gone to the city. Well, then that creates urban issues for competition for housing and competition for jobs. I see agriculture as its own resource. We don't have to build a plant to employ people out here. We just have to let them grow food. And the soil is the plant. It's already there. Um, if we take care of it and we use it, it's not, it's about more than just the price of the potato mm -hmm. or whatever it is, yeah. or the beef. It's a larger system that we have to actually take, in, take into account. The biggest barrier and the most important thing we can do for our producers is to create a level playing field. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to recognize that that's a very time-sensitive issue because the, the small farms are aging out and those farmers have put in their time. They have farmed for years and when it's time for them 
to sell their farm. If they don't have a family member that's going to take it over, they need to sell their farm because that's their retirement. Mm -hmm. So if we don't create ways for other people to take over those farms, they will basically go and consolidate into a, a bigger farm. And what happens then is either they sell off the home site or they get rid of the old home site and then... There's no way, there's nowhere for a small farmer to live anymore. Mm -hmm. And the economic challenges to rebuilding the farm site are huge. That's one thing that we find in trying to match up young farmers that we know with land that we know is finding the right kind of land that actually still has a viable home site with usable outbuildings. Mm -hmm. And that's really problematic. And so every year we lose more and more small farms that consolidate into bigger farms. And so it, it is a really time-sensitive issue, and we can't just wait around. We have to really be on it. I think farmers do what they're incented to do just like anybody else. So if we really just have to come to grips in our society with what kind of a food system we really want and what we're willing to do to get that, because I think it's definitely possible. Uh, but we're, we're going to have to support our farmers in ways that we haven't been doing financially uh, with technical assistance. If we want them to comply with the Food Modernization and Safety Act, then we really have to help them do that. Mm -hmm. Or they won't be able to, and we will we'll lose the small farmers that we have. So I think it's a political will thing. I don't know if we have that will or not. Mm -hmm. But I think we need lots of voices raised up, and that's, I think, where our Minnesota future is really important. I think building, building knowledge between the urban and rural spaces of each other's difficulties and then supporting each other with an understanding that we do rely on each other in lots of different ways, and we can't just live in our little silos. You know, the Farm Bill is a great uh, example of ways that agriculture and agriculture policy affects urban spaces. I mean, we've all, we're all probably pretty aware of the issues with SNAP and the changes that they want um, to make. I think our Minnesota future and the coalition between different organizations can help to create that understanding and build some power from the grassroots. My hope is from the grassroots right now. I think about this a lot, and people will say to me, oh, you must really love what you do, and I'm like, I don't really love what I do. Uh, I would like to play with my grandson. I would like to uh, spend more time on the farm. I would love to travel, but uh, sometimes we just have to give up the things that we love for the people, for the future. I feel like it's really important to make sure that I leave a world that's that's livable for my kids and my grandkids. And if I just do what I want to do for myself, and if everybody just everybody that's privileged like me can do what we want, um, we aren't going to leave a very good world for those that come after us. And so that's my motivation. And I really feel like rural spaces have not historically. I mean, I've, I've read some history about the food system in other global spaces, Brazil and Argentina and India, and historically, farmers have not been elevated to 
the level that they should be given what they what they supply and what they do for the world. Um, and I'd like to see that change. Is we could live without a lot of things, but we just don't live without food. You can't eat a bowl of money. <laughs> Have you had some conversations that, or interactions with policymakers or, or people like that that kind of make you feel, oh, maybe there's hope? Or also we can talk about, I've had some conversations about like, oh, we got a long way to go kind of thing. I mean, is that something that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing, so... <laughs> I, yeah. Um, I've actually had some really great conversations with um, people in that make policy with legislators and gubernatorial candidates. There, there are some people that get it. There are some people that are... Um, I think maybe taking it more seriously than they used to. I don't know how many. I think we'll we'll find that out going forward. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that people begin to value small farms. There's a lot of pressure to be efficient and use the economies of scale for efficiency. But I think you just can't forget that rural economies run on people being able to make a living where they live mm-hmm. and if we want to empty out all the rural spaces and send them to urban urban areas for opportunity um, I think that's really problematic and I think we're beginning to see that one of the narratives that's out there kind of one of the the conventional wisdom that's spread around is there are no young fe- people interested in farming and we're seeing it through farm beginnings for example that yes there is and they do see opportunities, they need help, but there is a lot of interest. I mean, you you must be seeing that, and you must be seeing it through the Food Hub a little bit, that kind of interest on the part of a younger generation that that does want to stay in a rural area and sees opportunity. I think there are a lot of young people that would like to farm. Some have never farmed before, some grew up on a farm, but one of the things that they really struggle with is health care. Um, if they're going to run a farm, they need health care, their families need health care, and the individual market just hasn't provided that for them, and that's a real challenge for them. The other thing that, the feedback that I get from our producers oftentimes is labor. Growing food is labor-intensive, and to be able to hire labor and pay their labor a living wage is really challenging unless, unless they can grow large enough. And what happens is really small farms can function okay. It seems like they can do farmer's markets and they all work off the farm. When they get to a certain level and grow a little bit, they can afford some labor, but it's, that, it's growing past that middle piece, mm-hmm. that taking that next step up that's really difficult. And I think, um, I think we're going to need to help them. Yeah, I think, I think the idea of developing more cooperative farms that are um, developed to be more democratic and to deal with um, some of the different needs that you need to, to survive, like you need a marketer, you need um, communication skills, you need transportation, you need somebody who can fix machinery. There's all kinds of needs. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this the other day and thinking that Really, farms used to be very cooperative. We were cooperative with our neighbors. Um, families used to 
used to have three or four different farms in one area, and they all basically farmed together and helped each other out, and that doesn't happen so much now. Yeah. And so I think that um, if we create more cooperative farms where young people can support each other through the trials and tribulations of raising families and um, sending your parents off and all of those things that that we will be able to help help them survive better and there are some movements in the country um, working on that now and I'm, I'm really interested in that I think the idea about small farms being, or people that support small farms um, just wanting to go back to this nostalgic time, that's not realistic. And most of us that work and think about these things know that that's not realistic, but that doesn't mean we can't find ways to support the growth of small farms and the success of small farms, which is really good for everybody. the Our Minnesota Future initiative, see landstewardshipproject.org and follow the links under the Organizing for Change tab. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.